Word of God then to the book of Judges, chapter 16. Joshua, Judges, chapter 16. Just want to read one verse at the moment here. <clears throat> Judges 16, uh, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound uh, to afflict you. Now to the child of this world, the child of God is an enigma, a mystery, a puzzlement. To those in this world, the church is a bewilderment. They do not and cannot understand us. They have no idea what we're about. And they just don't get us. And Delilah was absolutely stumped when it came to Samson. Samson, where does your great strength lie? I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I can't get my head around it, we would say. Where does this strength come from that you got? Where does it lie? What is the secret of your strength? Now, we've often said from this pulpit that the Bible does not say that Samson was a Herculean man, that he was muscle-bound that he had biceps like rugby balls and he had legs like tree trunks. Didn't look like that at all. <clears throat> In fact, he looked like any other man would look like, apart from seven locks of hair, which was a sign of his Nazarite vow. But other than that, he looked quite ordinary. Obviously, if he had been muscle-bound, then Delilah need not ask the question. If you had a looked at his physique and he had been like some muscle man, then that would answer all our questions. It would be easy to see where his strength lay, but because he didn't look like that, she wondered, where do you get this power from? And I think that sometimes the world may look at us and wonder where our strength comes from. Delilah was in fact saying to Samson, Samson, how come you can overcome? How come you can defeat the Philistines? How come that you can overcome overwhelming odds and you always seem to win and come out on top? What is your secret? How do you do that? I would love to know your secret. Where does your great strength lie? Where does your power come from? And I think that for the overcoming, victorious Christian, I think people in this world look at them and wonder, where do they get the strength from? When the crises hit, when the struggles of life come, 
blow after blow after blow after blow. And at the end of it, not only are they still standing, but they're victorious. And they've overcome it. Where does that strength come from? I think of Sam down there tonight. And I think when he lost his young wife at 40 years old, left with two young girls, what a blow. What a body blow. What a shock. How would he handle it? What would he do? How would he manage? And people were watching. Not just family, but neighbors. People from work. How's he going to handle this? But I can tell you tonight, by the grace of God and by the strength of the Lord, he handled it wonderfully well. And he raised up two great godly young women. That's how he did it. Where did his strength lie? In the Lord. In the Lord. Saul of Tarsus was the one who stood at the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And he stood as a witness as those who stoned took off their coats and threw it at his feet as a witness. And he watched and he listened to Stephen crying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Being stoned to death. And he watched and he listened as Stephen said these incredible words when all that hatred and vilification and all that despising that was going towards him and the stones was raining upon him to kill him. And he cried out with a loud voice in Acts 7, it says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Saul of Tarsus had never ever heard anyone else say that. And later on, whenever Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus, and remember what Jesus said, it's hard for you, Saul, to kick against the pricks. The conviction of my Holy Spirit is pricking you, and it's hard for you to kick against it. Where do you think that all began? I think it began right at that moment when he watched and he listened, Stephen. And I'm sure the unspoken thought in his heart was, where does that great strength come from? He had never seen anything like it. Ashpenaz was the chief eunuch under Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Hundreds of thousands of young men, women, were taken from their homeland in Israel and brought into Babylon as captives. And out of all who were taken, the choicest, the brightest, the best, perhaps those with royal blood, were being trained up in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. Re-educated, brainwashed, we would say. And Ashpenaz favored Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael. Those four young 
Hebrew men, out of all the Hebrew men. And he favored them. There came a time when they had to receive the portion of the king's meat and the king's wine. And Daniel said, if I can paraphrase, sorry, Ashpenaz, not for us. I cannot defile myself with the king's meat and the king's wine. Can't take it. And Ashpenaz, caring about them, also caring about his job, he said, but you must take it. It's the king's provision. You have to. And Daniel said, no, I'm sorry, can't. Can't define myself with that. And Ashpenaz says, but what when the king looks at you? When he sees you different than the rest? And Daniel said, I tell you what, let's put it to the test. Why don't you for just ten days just give me lentils and water? Bowl of lentil soup and water for ten days. That's all we'll take. At the end of the ten days, you come and you inspect us. See what happens. And at the end of ten days, he came and looked at them. In Daniel chapter 1, it says, And they were fairer and fatter than all the other ones that took of the king's meat. All those compromisers. But here were four who stood for God. And God gave them great strength. And God did something in their lives that Ashpenaz was amazed at. <laughs> what a miracle that was. What was Samson's secret? How was he able to overcome? Well, let's discover his secret tonight. And I think if we discover his secret, we'll find our secret. <laughs> What is the secret of our strength? How come we can overcome? If we are victorious believers, we will and we shall overcome. No matter what this life throws at us or what the devil concocts against us, we shall and we will overcome. Well, I think that it all centers around his birth. His birth. The secret of his strength is centered around his birth. So let's look at his birth in chapter 13 of Judges. Just go back a couple of chapters. And we'll just read the first five verses. Because I think this contains a secret. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord... And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand 
of the Philistines. The word Nazarite comes from a Hebrew word to mean consecrated, set apart for God's use. And that was usually accompanied by the sign of a Nazarite, which was no cutting of the hair. Now, it could be for a set period. A Nazarite vow could be for a set period, or it could be a lifetime thing. For Samson, this was a lifetime thing. This was something that God had done, and it was a lifetime thing, this Nazarite vow. And so, I want to look at four things briefly. First of all, how he was born. Secondly, why he was born. Then, where he was born. And then, when he was born. And I think those four things will give us the secret of his strength. And we can relate that to the secret of our strength. First of all, how he was born. It was unusual. It was miraculous. It tells us there that Manoah's wife was barren. That lets us know that they could not produce a birth. It was beyond them. Only God could do this. Only God could open the barren womb. And he did. And so God was the one who initiated this. God was the one who spoke. God was the one who sent the angel. God was the one who gave the life into the woman's womb that was barren. God did this. It was a supernatural thing. Even though they may have wanted to, but they couldn't. It was beyond them. They could not produce the birth. Only God could do it for them. Not only that, he had to be a Nazarite from birth. He had to be consecrated, set apart unto God. He was born solely for the purpose of doing the will of God. And it was a wonderful thing. Now, this reminds me, does it not, of the new birth God is the one who initiates the new birth. God is the one who caused us by his spirit to be born again. We could not do it ourselves. It is not of us. It's impossible for us to be born again of ourselves. It has to be a supernatural work of God. The Bible talks about being born from above. Not of man, but born from above. In fact, in John chapter 1, in verse 13, here's what it says. Well, let me read verse 12. But as many as received him, Jesus that is, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Being born again, it was God who took the initiative. It was God's purpose. It was God who came after us. It was the Holy Spirit who found us. It was God as a work of God in our lives. We could not have done it if we wanted to. It was impossible for us. So this new birth that we have received is a work of God. 
Samson was a miraculous birth. It was a work of God. God was the one who initiated it. And whenever you become born again, there is a strength that comes into you from above that you never had before. Now I know that, excuse me, I know that the human spirit is a wonderful thing. And I know that the human being is capable of many great things. But when you are born again of God's Spirit, He deposits a power in you that you never had before. You could not live as a Christian without that power. It's a God thing. And it's God who deposits it within your spirit that causes you to live for Him and gives you this power in your life that you never had before. And you know it. When you're born again, you know it. And you know you've got it. You know there's a power there that was never there before. So how he was born was very much a part of the secret of where his strength came from. How we are born again is very much the secret of where our strength comes from. It comes from above. It comes from the Spirit of God. Secondly, why he was born. It tells us in verse 5, doesn't it? In verse 5 it says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Why he was born is very, very important. He was born to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. He was born to be a blessing to others. He was born to be a rescuer, a deliverer of men's souls, as it were. His countrymen. And God raised him up for that. This strength that he had was not just for him. God gave it to him for others. And the strength that God gives you as a believer is not just for you. It's for others as well as you. It's not just to get you through your crisis. And it will do that. There's no question about that but it's to be able to help others, to be able to bless others, to be able to minister to others, to be able to help others in life that's going through difficult situations, difficult circumstances. Perhaps maybe life has dealt you some blows. Life has come against you. The Philistines has come against you in life, spiritually speaking. But you have overcome them because God gave you a power to do that and you've had victory, and you've been an overcomer. And then when you talk to somebody else that's going through the same thing that you went through, you can tell them, listen, God's strength got me through this, and God's strength can get you through it too. If you put your trust in the Savior, the Lord can bless you and help you the way he helped me. That's what it's for. That's why he was born, to give him a strength to help other people who had no strength. Are you still with me? And there's loads of people out there 
and they have got needs and they need help and they need encouragement and they need prayer and they need somebody to come alongside, maybe to lay hands on. They need that. And God has given every single believer a power to be able to help others. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and so forth and so on. That word because is important. The Spirit of the Lord has become me because there's a reason for the Spirit of the Lord to be upon us. There's a reason for it. Now, it's more than that. The Spirit of the Lord is in us. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson from time to time. And when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, that great strength rose up within him. But the Spirit of the Lord is in us permanently at all times. But there's a because because of it. And the because is, there's a reason. And the reason is not just to get you through this life, but to be able to reach out to others and strengthen and encourage and to help others in life that's struggling, that's having difficulties. All of us has faced difficulties. All of us struggled. Isn't it good when you can go to somebody and you're going through a difficulty and you can talk to them and they have gone through the same thing and they can say to you, listen, I know how you feel. I know where you're at. I've been there. But listen to me. God gave me the strength. And God will bring you through too. That's a great encouragement, isn't it? And so why he was born was very, very important. And then thirdly, where he was born. It tells us in verse 2, he was born in Zorah. the tribe of the Danites. Now the tribe of Dan, if you looked at a map in the back of your Bible, you'd find that the tribe of Dan, that their portion of the land was way, 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 way up north, right at the top. And the land adjoined the land of the Philistines. So when the Philistines would come to make an attack in Israel, Guess what? The Danites was the first in line. And God raised up Samson from the Danites. In other words, he was on the front line. <laughs> so when the Philistines came to attack, they had to come that way. And that's where Samson was. That's where the front line was. And that's where God raised up Samson, right on the front line, right in the trenches. So they had to deal with him first. Why am I saying that? Because in your family, maybe you're the one who's on the front line. You're the one that God's raised up in the front line of your family, in your household. So when the devil comes, he's going to have to come to you first. You're the one on the trenches. You're the one on that front line, the battlefield. That's where Samson was. So when God gives you that strength and God gives you that power to overcome, it's for a reason. Because maybe you're the one that stands in the gap for the rest of them. 
You're the one that's out there at the front. You're the ones that's going to take the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, as Shakespeare said. You're the one where the fiery darts will come to, as the devil wants to do. But God gives you the strength, and he gives you the power to overcome glory to God. Maybe you say, well, David, I feel I'm on the front lines. I feel I'm in the trenches. I feel all hell's been let loose against me. Well, maybe so. But maybe God has got you strategically placed in the front line. Maybe that's why he's given you the strength that you need and the power that you need to be able to overcome the enemy because you're the front line of defense. There's always front line trips, aren't there, in every battle? It's always front line trips. Well, there's lots of Christians you see and they say, well, I'm just happy to be a Sunday go-to-meeting Christian and I don't really want to do uh, too much and I don't want to upset the devil and you know, and, you know that kind of an attitude. Let me tell you, you're going to upset the devil anyway. He just hates your guts. If you're a believer, he just hates you anyway. You don't have to do anything. He just hates you. But if you're going to live for Jesus, truly live for him, then he's going to come after you one way or another. And that's why God gives you his power. Over all the power of the enemy, Jesus said. <laughs> Glory to God. Isn't that good? Over all the power of the enemy. The town of Zorah. Do you know what the word Zorah means? It means the hornet's nest. <laughs> Isn't that good? The hornet's nest. Sure, feel you've stirred up a hornet's nest. <laughs> you know, you go along as a Christian, you know, and everything's going great, and suddenly you stir up a hornet's nest. <laughs> And the devil's just all over you like a rash. <laughs> ah, glory to God. You've stirred up a hornet's nest somewhere along the line. That's all right, isn't it? Hmm? And here was, <laughs> here was Samson. He was always stirring up a hornet's nest whenever it came to these Philistines. I mean, <laughs> he didn't always wait till they came to him. Sometimes he went to them. <laughs> Sometimes uh, offense is better than defense, isn't it? And uh, he would go after them. The Bible says, you know, about saints in Caesar's household. Some people, Christians, I know, they can't even be saints in God's household. They're surrounded with the people of God and they get all the prayer they can get and still can't make it. They're still half in and half out of the kingdom of God. But the Bible talks about saints in Caesar's household. How would you like to be a saint in Caesar? Listen, if you can't make it in God's household, you're not going to make it in Caesar's household. Caesar's, some of your jobs you're in in Caesar's household. Say, David, if you, if you knew what my job was like, I mean, every day they're cursing and they're swearing and bad talk and dirty jokes and what they'd done at the weekend and they got hammered this weekend and what did you, you went to church and they laugh at you. You have no idea what it's like. Yes, I do. I worked on it for years. Of course, I know what it's like. But maybe you're the saint in that Caesar's household. Maybe you're the standard bearer. Maybe you're the one to shine the light in the dark place. Do you ever think of that? Hmm. Let me tell you a secret. All those ones who big mouse and all those ones with their dirty talk and their cursing and swearing and their blaspheming and slagging you off. Let their wee son or daughter go into hospital 
see who they come after for a wee private prayer. I worked in a factory for years. I know what I'm talking about. They'll look you out behind the rest of their mates' back and say, say a wee prayer for me. <laughs> Amen? That's right, indeed it is. The Bible says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. Maybe you're that standard. Maybe you're the one that God has raised up against him in your family, in your situation. You see, it was important where he was born. It's important why he was born. But it was also important when he was born. And it tells us this in verse 1. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. The book of Judges, by the way, historically, as far as the Hebrews were concerned, was their darkest period of history. It's a long period too. The darkest period of history. You know, they'd live for God and God would bless them. Then they'd backslide and God would plead with them to come back and they wouldn't. And so he would allow their enemies to overtake them. Sometimes for 40 years. And then they would cry unto God again and repent. And God in his mercy would forgive them and bless them. For another few years. Then they'd backslide. And that whole process would continue for years and years and generations and generations and generations. And here at this particular time, it was 40 long years of darkness, of pain, of captivity. Awful time. Philistines would come in and they would rack and ruin. That was their generation. This is our generation. And our generation is living in the world that is dark and cruel and wicked, almost beyond comprehension. Every day I read my newspaper, I am amazed at how wicked people can be, even with their own children. Unbelievable almost. No wonder the Bible says the heart of man is exceedingly wicked above all things who can know it. But that's the generation we live in. This is the place, this is the time. That advert you see for Belfast at the moment, this is our time, this is our place. Well, this is our time and our place in this generation. There's nothing we can do but the past generation. We didn't live there. The next generation hasn't happened yet. This is our generation. This is the place where God caused us to be at this time. So God is raising up men and women, churches, fellowships, people from every denomination, no denomination, and God is putting his strength in them. He's putting his power in them because the world needs saved. It needs rescued. It needs helped because it's lost and it's undone tonight, isn't it? 
Do you think the politicians has got the answer? Think science has got the answer to the morality question? I don't think so. Who's got the answer? Us. This book. The Lord Jesus. Yes, we be maligned. Yes, we're laughed at. Yes, we're made to look like idiots in the media. But that's all right. They're not doing a very good job of this world looking after, are they? It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. So God is raising up Samson's people with his spirit, people with his strength, because the world needs it. Our community needs it. Where you work needs it. Perhaps your family needs it. Your street needs it. And you are the salt and you're the light. You're the only ones God has got. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? You're the only ones that God has got. Because this is the only generation we're ever going to live in. And if we don't do something, it's not going to be done. Mordecai said to the beautiful Esther, find out about Haman, going to kill all the people, all the Jews. (coughs) Esther was queen. Of course, the king had lots of concubines, and any one of them could have been queen at his whim. Mordecai says, Esther, you're going to have to go and tell the king about this plot of Haman's. Well, she was frightened. She hadn't been in to see him for a, a while, and you just couldn't go in and announce it, even if you were the queen. So she was frightened. She says, well, I'm not too sure. Remember what he said? But who knows that you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, I think this is why God has got you in this position. So you go and talk to the king. But if you do not, God will raise up somebody else. Because <laughs> God is not going to let this happen. But actually, I think God has placed you in the right position. So you go and tell him. And she went and she into his presence. And he held out the golden scepter, which means he, she was accepted for that day. And she told, and you know the story. The rest is history. Haman died in the gallows he made for Mordecai. Right place, right time, right person. And God gave her the strength. He gave her the power. He gave her the courage. He gave her the wisdom. He gave everything that she needed to go into that pagan king and save her people alive. You and I, we may not feel it. We may not look like it. But we're the right people in the right place at the right time for the right purpose. And God has got every one of you in place. And so he gives you a strength. He gives you a power. He gives you an ability. He gives you a wisdom. He gives you a compassion. He gives you whatever you need to be able to deliver others and to help others and to rescue other souls. So we're not saved just to come to church and sit in church and hear a sermon. We're saved to go out there and be salt and light out there. 
We're saved to be on the front lines because that's where God has placed us. We're saved for this generation to do something for this generation and we're only going to get one chance at it. We're not going to get another. So will you go to your work tomorrow, wherever that may be, amongst your neighbors or amongst your family. I don't know your family situations, all of you. But when you go in there, you say to yourself, God, you have placed me here for a purpose and you've given me strength for this. You've given me an ability for this. You've given me courage for this. You've given me compassion for this. You give me everything I need to make a difference to those around me. And if you go with that attitude, you'll find that you'll be able to bless and strengthen and encourage, and you'll be able to kill every Philistine that comes to you. Glory to God. Philistines were defeated. Not everybody's going to like you, you know, if you get a bit bold or start to poke your nose into people's affairs, but spiritual things. Not everybody's going to like that. And I'm not talking about the ungodly, I'm talking about the godly. I'm talking about the saints. Not every saint's going to like it. Because some saints are just quite happy just to have the status quo. Don't rock any boats. Don't upset the devil. <laughs> you know, if you read on that story, you'd see that the, the people of Judah, <laughs> Samson was slaughtering the Philistines all over the place. And so they came to the people of Judah because he, he had, he'd been in Judah for a little bit. And he came and he says, look, we want Samson. We want to kill him. And you're going to get him for us. And 3,000 of them went to Samson and he said, listen, do you not know that the Philistines rule us? And here you are and you're shaking everything up. You're stirring up a hornet's nest. You know, we're not getting any peace. They're coming to us now because I've been bothering those Judites. They're coming to us now. So it says, we're going to take you to the Philistines, 3,000. And Samson says, well, Promise me you won't kill me. <laughs> and he says, all right, we promise. He says, okay. They put out his hands. They tie two ropes around him. Well, Samson knew exactly what he was doing here. Because he knew when the Spirit of God would come on him, those ropes would be like rubber bands. So they took him to where the Philistines were. 3,000 of them. Imagine that. 3,000 of his own countrymen. Not everybody's going to like it. <laughs> if you go out and start witnessing if you start to stir up a hornet's nest and work, if you start to shine your light where you are, not everybody's going to like it, especially other Christians. Because they like the status quo. They don't like anybody saying anything about them, you see. So they took him, and they took him to where the Philistines were. The Philistines started to shout because they thought, this is a wonderful thing. We're never going to kill him. And it says, and the Spirit of God came upon Samson, and he broke those two ropes like threads. And he ran over and he saw a fresh jawbone of a donkey lying. And he lifted it. And by the time he had finished, with a jawbone of an ass, he had slew 1,000 Philistines. <laughs> Not everybody's going to like it in your workplace, or maybe in your family, or on your street, or even in your church. If you decide... I'm going to go out there and be a blessing. And I'm going to shine my light. And I'm going to overcome the wicked one. And I'm going to stir up a hornet's nest. They're not going to like it, but that's okay. God will bless you and he'll give you strength. And you'll defeat the Philistines. Glory to God. Samson's a wonderful story. It doesn't end very well, by the way. 
But at least up to that point, it's a wonderful story of the strength of God coming upon him and what he was able to do for God. Just an ordinary man. Now listen to me as we close. He was dependent upon the strength of God. But the determining factor was he had to keep his Nazarite vow. As long as the hair wasn't cut, because if the hair was cut, that was a sign the vow was broken. And as long as he kept his vow, as long as he kept right with God, as long as he kept walking before God, he was okay. Now we know he started to fool around. And eventually his hair was cut and it was shorn and he lost his power. God will give us power. He'll give us strength. He'll give us all the grace we need. He'll give us all the tools we need to do all of that there. But we need to walk right before him. We need to live the Nazarite life. We need to walk true. Ole Alex Schofield says you've got to live right and spit white. <laughs> In other words, you've got to live clean. You've got to live right. And when you do that, God will give you everything you need because you're keeping your vow and you're walking straight before him. Amen? Let's pray.